Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us for yet another episode. And I am joined by a, a new friend, Karen Julia. Karen, I, I hesitate at new too, because it feels in some ways we've had the opportunity to connect and we've connected very naturally and very quickly. I appreciate you making time for the Boca Podcast today. Thanks so much for inviting me. And, and we're going to actually jump into what is really a pretty loaded topic. And uh, I think I've said this kind of thing recently. There are certain topics that we hit here on the podcast that are I mean, it's it's tough to cover them thoroughly in an hour's time frame, uh, but I'm I'm glad that we're going to touch on this topic of SEO, SEO, particularly in 2019, because things have changed over the last well number of years, and we're going to delve into how and then how we can best best approach SEO for the sake of growing our business. We'll get to that here in just a little bit, but um, before we do, I normally start the podcast with something called a technique for time. And actually, before we started recording, I was alluding to the fact that I know that you're quite an organized individual. Um, so I, I'm sure this question is something that you can answer very aptly. But is there something that you do? I, I know that you've got a busy schedule right now. But is there something that you do amidst the busyness of running your own business, an SEO company? Um, that enables you to have at least a little bit of space here and there for yourself or for the important people in your life? Absolutely. So I schedule all my time into time slots. And because I have two businesses, I work in two different time zones. So I have kind of zones um, w zones of space for clients to book that are based in, in different time zones. Hmm. But I also book time aside for myself. So there's things that I do to kind of keep me centered and to give me that, that headspace um, which I find is just crucial in terms of uh, when you're balancing a lot of different things. So I, I walk like a minimum of five miles a day and I, I book that time in every single day. So there, there's slots that are literally booked into my schedule for me. So they're appointments with me, if that makes sense. Uh, it does. It does. But, you know, first of all, you mentioned walking. And this was something that just this week I had the experience, uh, personal experience of getting in a lot of walking, actually close to, I think, about 30 miles. Myself and uh, my kids, we'll just say family, we, we had the opportunity to go to Disney and Universal Studios. And it was... I mean, first of all, there was a lot of walking, obviously, but I something that I realized is that something as simple as walking, certainly for uh, you know lo longer distances, ideally, it's amazing the amount of exercise that you can get and how it can help your body maintain a certain lean state. You, know, you get the exercise, you you encourage the metabolism. Of course, you're getting outside, exposure to the sun. We were in Florida and didn't quite get the amount of sun that I would have liked in Florida, but it, there's something really wonderful about that. I normally go to the gym, a little bit more intense workouts, at least with the, the high-intensity interval sessions on the elliptical machine, but just walking, it can be in somewhat relaxing, but then simultaneously you're getting the exercise, the movement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just you, I'm just smiling at you saying about not as much sun in Florida there. You'll have got way more than, I'm, I'm based in Manchester in the UK. Yeah. So it's gloriously rainy. Um, and one thing I make sure I do is like regardless of weather. So even if it's sideways rain, you know, I will still do at least three miles. I'll still aim really? for five. 
Yeah. So you're just sticking like a, a poncho or some some type of cover on and just going for it? Well, there's a Billy, Billy Connolly quote that I like, um, and it's, there's no such thing as bad weather, just a bad choice of clothing. Ah. So I just layer up, layer up, get get the weatherproofs out. And it's awesome for clearing your head, you know. Yes. It, there's nothing more invigorating, I think, than actually having rain hitting your face. And I think sometimes that connection with nature, even though mm. I live right in the middle of the city, been able to have that kind of connection where a lot of the, the walks I take go around the, the city canals. So there's a lot of wildlife. Um, so it's really nice to kind of have that time out connection with nature again. And I've experimented with various different things for that kind of time out over the years, like yoga, meditation. Mm-hmm. And I find like a really good long walk. On, honestly, it's just awesome for being able to collect your thoughts, you know, reflect on the day, focus on the rest of the day that's coming up. So it's something I like doing in the middle of the day or kind of in that afternoon slump time. You know? Yeah, it's nice to break things up that way. But I'm, I'm really curious too, because I think there's a tendency in our culture and, and I'll be the first to raise my hand saying that I, I do this kind of thing too. I need to do less of it. But there's a tendency to very quickly, if we have that so-called space, whether we're going out for a walk or we're sitting in the quiet or maybe just at a coffee shop to quickly go to some type of distraction or way to fill in the silence. And I'm, so I'm curious, and, and this is certainly not a criticism either way, but I'm just curious on your take, do you, if you go out to take a walk, are you listening to music? Are you listening to audiobook? Or are you just, are you enjoying the silence and kind of getting away from it all? I think it depends on the day and you know what's going on and maybe I like to use that opportunity to get my head back in the right place and sometimes mm. that's a place of focus sometimes it's a place of calmness um sometimes it's a place of I need to get fired up you know for um having a, a, a more intense day ahead yes so how I deal with that space is kind of influenced by kind of what headspace I'm trying to get into so sometimes that can be not even taking my phone um leaving my apartment without my phone which is always a bit like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we get nervous so easily that way these yeah, days? it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. It's kind of, it, when I, I, had, I hadn't done it for such a long time. And I remember the first time I'd done it and I just went out and walked. I thought, what if something happens? And I literally live in the center of a really well-populated city. It's a perfectly safe place to live. There's no reason I would need a phone. Yeah. So my kind of commitment though, um, if I'm going out and I'm having that chill out space and I might just listen to uh, some like a meditation track, for mm. example, um, or just some some music. Is my phone goes in airplane mode? Oh, that's that's perfect. So, I've I've kind of got access to it. I can listen to a podcast or an audiobook if I want, but I'm not. It's my thoughts aren't interrupted by the kind of the general noise of running your business, you know. And noise sounds bad, but I think that as a business owner or owner of businesses, it's really important to actually create that space away from the various, um, you know, uh, emails and questions and uh, the, the various things to just, I, I get so much value out of that. I think it's something that I'd highly re- recommend everybody does. You just need an hour a day minimum, you know. And, and that's, that's good. And, and if we don't have an hour a day, there's a, there's a quote, and I'm not going to remember it exactly, I think it was Tim Ferriss that said something about how if you don't have, you know, 10 minutes a day to meditate, then you need to, you need to make some way bigger, some significant changes. I mean, the idea that as business owners, uh, we have that we would take an hour away from work to clear a mind, to get a little bit of exercise, to move, uh, to, to get centered again, as you were saying earlier, I think it is more than necessary. I mean, it's vital. And yet. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and, and yet I think a lot of times we we don't prioritize that. So I, I like this reminder, and I really appreciate you kind of sharing your routine. I, I think it's a, a really, really great thing. Talk to us about an impactful book. Uh, what's one of the more impactful books that you've had the opportunity to read, whether it's on the business side or self-help side or otherwise? Um, Simon Sinek's Start With Why mm. has been um, a book that I've really been able to kind of relate to and connect with. And as many people who are listening to this who are familiar with it um, might know of his viral YouTube video where there's a clip about him talking about the kind of why and what that means and how that kind of fits in with with business owners, really. We're, we're talking about the kind of the, the, the driving motivation behind why we even have a business in the first place, correct? Absolutely. And I think it's so important that um, business owners like photographers actually take time to identify what that is. Because when you're really clear on your why, it makes decisions way easier. Because I think making the right decision in business isn't always a black and white definite yes or no it's not it's not always easy but if you know what your why is and you're clear on your kind of overall aims for your business it actually makes the the smaller decision making things that can sometimes consume too much time it makes those easier Yes, it's so true. And and when we're talking about a why, we're not talking about, you know, I want to be an artist or I want to be a photographer. This is a, a much, much deeper why. I mean, something that we talk about here on the Book of Podcasts quite a bit is this notion of a big picture view, kind of over, overarching set of goals that drive certainly our personal life, but then that should naturally trickle down to the business that we create, the business model that we create, and then how we spend our day-to-day time should ultimately support that business model, and of course, ultimately the goals. And so when we're talking about a why, we're, we're talking about going way deeper than just saying, I'm an artist or I'm a business owner. Or I, I want to, to take pictures, correct? Absolutely. So it's more about your kind of core principles, really. Mm. You know, why do you get out of bed in the morning? What is it that you, what type of life do you want to create for yourself? And those are the sort of questions I think it should, it should start from because that can then tie into how you run your business. And, and kind of the area of the business that you specialize in. It's so true. Yeah, it minimizes confusion, whether it, it you know comes down to the type of photography that we want to get into, or just for any entrepreneur out there, the type of business, the, the, the target clients that we want to go after, how we're going to spend our time, how much we charge. Um, so many of these topics that in some cases can cause a little bit of confusion can be clarified if we're first clear about our why. And so this is, again, a good reminder. And I'll make sure, we'll, we'll make sure to link to this in the show notes. By the way, for those of you listening in, make sure you take advantage of the show notes. If you go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com, you can take advantage of the, the wealth of show notes that Haley has put together with these episodes that we're putting out very regularly now, um, at the moment, three a week. So take advantage for sure. Let's, let's jump to the next question, though. For, from all that you've learned as a business owner thus far, if you had 15 seconds to, to share a piece of advice with a fellow business owner, what would that piece of advice be? The focus should be on systems rather than kit. I think a tendency of photographers is to focus on what lens, mm. what camera, when really for you to be able to deliver on your why, you need systems in place and a framework um, that makes sense, you know, and is profitable where you're aiming to be. And it's less about right now and more about the business that you're planning for. And I see a lot of photographers don't plan for that. I think that's the biggest thing that you could do that would make a biggest difference to your business is get get contracts in place first, get the systems in place, get the workflows in place. 
And, and so just to push back, um, kind of on the side of the photographers, particularly those who feel like, like they're artist types in this notion of structure and organization and systems is a foreign concept or something that just kind of turns them off. They're, they're not interested. How would you respond to them? Can, how can you maybe be a photographer and an artist and also effectively put even basic systems in place so that you can, you can, as you said, deliver on that? Why? I think that's a brilliant way to sum it up. And um, well, I, th- I think this is because my background's been um, when I when I graduated college and then got into retail management. I was managing businesses within retail, and then started as a photographer. So it means I've had got that insight from two quite different specialities. And I see time and time again in, in Facebook groups and in my consultations with other photographers that the the system problems can really interfere with the creativity mm. you know it can really interfere with the business enjoyment you know if, if there's a, an incident with a client or um, push back on a contract and you don't have all these things lined up first it can really consume you and I understand that photographers are as creatives we're maybe more sensitive and I'm speaking on behalf of photographers I appreciate not everybody's like that sure but those those things can really have an impact on your art and your creativity. And I think that having those clear frameworks in place, although they might like sound mundane or not the most interesting thing, they almost protect your creativity. And I think as a self-employed sole trader, as an artist, that creativity does need to be um, almost ring-fenced. You know, you, it's a term I think Americans have I've heard Americans use less than people from the UK but it's about actually creating a space for that creativity to protect it to ensure that you can keep delivering on that and that those mundane paperwork framework things don't end up kind of eating into that if that makes sense it does make sense and and it really follows this line of thinking which we've discussed on the podcast before which is very simply that artistic prowess or just a focus on the art is not mutually exclusive to or with organization or structure that the great thing is that as you pointed out karen structure systems even if they're very basic addressing some of the you know the basic components of a business whether that's the financial management or management of communication just as a couple of examples if we put effective and efficient systems in place the wonderful thing is that we have to to worry less as you pointed out and we can then have more mental and actual time space in order to focus on our craft so if if we're willing to i mean just kind of suck it up right and and put the time the investment into creating the systems putting the systems in place i mean for some of the photographers listening in they may be into or at least the beginnings of their busy or semi busy season now but we're still relatively early in the year and there's still an opportunity to lay down a framework for financial management or for the organization of, of documents and the management of contracts, uh, the management of, of all the data associated with clients. If you don't have a CRM, taking advantage of a system like HoneyBook, for example, are good places to go to get started with those kinds of things. Putting the systems in place now means that you have to less think less about those kind of the, the mundane components of running a business so that you can then focus on your craft. You can focus on delivering on that why, which I get, I'm, I'm really stoked on that phrase that, that you put together earlier. I think that's a brilliant way to sum it up. This is really, really good. Let me, let me jump to another question though. And uh, I'm, sure. I'm curious, you've got a, a business which is focused on teaching and then providing SEO services there are other companies out there that do this kind of like Facebook marketing and, and, and just social media marketing in general. Right now, there are so many companies out there that claim to be specialists. So you've got some competition. How do you 
position your brand against other SEO companies so that you stand out? What is your business's brand position? Well, first up, I think competition is great. I think it helps everybody um, keep on their toes mm. and it's better for clients. You know, if there's competition out there, it means that there's competition to be delivering the best possible service and the best possible client experience. So so I'm all good with that. The My USP or kind of, I suppose, what makes things different, everything's highly personalized. So anything I charge for, my chargeable services are all personalized to the client. And I think when it comes to SEO, Really, there's a lot of material already out there in courses that, you know, a client could watch hours and hours and hours. Um, a photographer could watch hours of, of course material, but still not get their, their questions answered. And sometimes there's not a straight um, black or white answer. The, the answer that I might give to someone based in Washington, D.C. could be quite different from someone based in Middlesbrough in the U.K. or, the you know, the coast in Australia or New Zealand and I've worked with clients all around the world so really the the done for you services that I offer and the audit course that I offer are highly personalized all the tutorials um, are not a paid for part of my service and they're the part of what I want to do to help empower business owners to um, learn as much about SEO as they can to put them in the kind of strongest position they can to succeed really. And I love that focus on adding value. That's something that that we're trying to do here, certainly at Boca, uh, as a production of Photographer's Edit. You know, there were there were a lot of companies out there, plenty of companies in the photography industry who, uh, at least for the longest time anyway, were, were putting in uh, time into blog posts. And I say a lot. Uh, I mean, even even if, if there were just a select few, that was kind of the thing to do was to, to blog. And while the blogging is certainly helpful for SEO, I mean, you could speak about that more than, than anyone here, but there was, I wanted to create a different type of content for the sake of adding value. And, and so that was part of the reason that, that uh, we've put so much time into Boca. And uh, fortunately, along with that, we now have the, the text to go along with the, uh, the various Boca episodes. And, and that has seemed to actually quite make quite a difference for the sake of our SEO. But uh, you mentioned the, the significance of personalization. Uh, which is certainly important. But I, I would also say, too, I'll just throw this out there for, for your sake. Uh, I mean, when I go to your website, and for those of you listening in, we'll, list, we'll link to this in the show notes. Uh, it is photoseolab.com, just like it sounds, photoseolab.com. And that the name speaks for itself. You are specifically set up to take care of photographers or the photography industry, which immediately puts you in a smaller pool of SEO companies. And that in and of itself acts as a differentiator as well, which is really, really great. And I have to go ahead and point something out while I'm, I'm, I actually have your website pulled up here in front of me. You mentioned for the, um, and I'll let you talk a little bit more about the services in a little bit. Um, you do have various packages that can be purchased and then I'm sure more custom services as you alluded to. But one of the great things about your service is that you actually put on the homepage of your website your current available capacity for services. And I think that there's there are ultimately multiple benefits here. First of all, you are pointing to the significance of providing a great experience for your clients and enabling them to know what you're capable of ahead of time, right? Because the reality is we can take on business in some cases more than we can handle and then we can't deliver on that service. So if you scroll all the way down to, to toward the bottom of your page, actually, it says SEO client experience and service capacity. And you literally put the capacity there on the website. It's a brilliant idea. 
Well, I'm really, um, integrity is so important to me. And the kind of core values that I've established my wedding photography business with are the same as the this business really in the sense that I find just being fully transparent and upfront about my aims and you know where things are at and the thing is this this business isn't something that I've set up to scale um, I want to provide a kind of more of a boutique experience which is a word less used in the US but essentially it's a, um, a kind of highly personalized experience that I, I will be personally delivering and what that means is that there is a maximum capacity and there will be a kind of a limit, but I would rather have a wait list and make sure that when um, I'm able to serve clients, that they do have a great experience, that they receive a kind of, they see a return on their investment and that they have a great learning experience as well. Because it's not just about getting results. Getting results is obviously the whole purpose and it's really important, but also feeling supported through that process and um, being able to, to learn. And learning can take different times for different people and I want to be able to have regular contact with clients you know I'm talking to clients a couple of times a week in some situations and to be able to kind of offer that level of service that I think that that's what photographers need then there does need to be a cap. But I think it's a great example again of something that we've talked here about here on the podcast about at this point multiple times over which is the significance of experience and innate to creating a positive experience is proactively managing expectations and uh, I mean, the, the fact that it, that is front and center, you don't even have to log in to an account or anything. Somebody coming to your site immediately knows what your capacity is. And I like that you're proactively managing expectations that way. I think it's a really, really great, uh, great example for all of us. Talk to us about your SEO company. How did you end up in this place? You alluded to being a wedding photographer. Maybe you can comment on that briefly as well. But what's the backstory of, of this company? Well, it was kind of accidental. Um, uh, I mean, even getting into SEO in a start, that was completely accidental. I set up my business um, down in the southern area of the UK. I moved to Manchester somewhat unexpectedly in 2007. And because I hadn't planned the move, I'd already spent my marketing budget for that year in Glasgow. So I had to set up in a new city very quickly and didn't have any budget. So I started learning SEO. And really, that's where um, things kind of built in terms of my studying SEO and studying Google and um, it, kind of getting my work found by potential kind of couples online. So fast forward to 2012, and I was blacklisted from Google. My site was removed from the searches, oh, and no. I've been—I know it was the thing is I was so busy. I had like 54 weddings in 2012. I didn't even realize till wow. somewhere around about October. 2013 was not one of my best years, if I'm honest. Um, and I had realized that I'd, I'd mistakenly um, made some mistakes with the structure of my website and I picked up a panda penalty. Now, penalties back then are a little bit different from now. It's far easier to recover faster. And I had to start over with a brand new site. So in 2013, I was I spent some months trying to fix things. And then I just thought I need to just start from scratch. So I spent a lot of time studying SEO but kind of maybe from more reputable sources than than I had previously and I also started using software that checked my site for me because you're not going to no business owner listening to this is going to go and check every link in their website weekly so I realized that I needed to invest in software that would do that for me so that I would spot mistakes before Google did so when I started over in 2014 with a brand new website I was able to get over 20 page one rankings within a few months um 
and that kind of attracted the attention of my competitors. So or when I say competitors, we're a friendly bunch here in Manchester and, you know, I, we, we all kind of help each other out. So I started off with helping friends that I felt were being ripped off through agencies or I could mm. see that maybe some of these old tactics were still taking place and I knew how much they'd hurt me and I didn't want to see any other kind of photographer experience that. So it kind of gradually built from there. I went from helping friends to running a couple of training courses, running some workshops. And then I started working with the US-based agency in December 2016, which was part-time but kind of escalated. And then that fast forward to the beginning of this year, um, that agency sadly collapsed through a combination of circumstances. And I found myself in this position where, as a contractor, I just lost my job. But I also had, there was a whole load of clients who were at various different stages all kind of re- reaching out to me for help. Um, and as much as, you know, as, as someone that had just lost a job and wasn't still working with the company, as much as I, it wasn't really my responsibility to help them, this takes us back to that why. You know, from a kind of integrity point of view, I, I couldn't not. And I didn't know how I was going to be able to help them whilst also looking for a job. Um, and it just kind of felt like the right thing to do to just set up a company to be able to continue to serve those clients that needed my help and I thought well if I can offer the services to new clients as well then you know what it's all going to work out sort of Um, so that that was my kind of aim so it was it was really unexpected it was a real curveball at the start of this year but I've just kind of rolled with the punches and um, put a CRM together fairly quickly you know, I had a phone call to my accountant on a random Wednesday saying, um, I need some advice. So, yeah, I, I kind of I wanted to be able to just do the right thing to be able to uh, continue to ser- serve those clients who I knew wanted help with their SEO. Well, I, I have to, to give you major props, first of all, for your integrity, your tendency toward organization, your attention to detail, and, uh, and then ultimately your desire to serve. You know, I mean, this the idea of serving or service, this is not something that we hear about a ton these days in, in modern culture. And, and I mean, I'm, I come from a, a very kind of strict religious background. And that was, that was a word that you heard in religious circles. But it's not something that you hear as much, it seems like anyway, in modern culture. And I love the fact that you've put so much emphasis on the significance of service. And there is, there is something that, be, that is so fulfilling about running a company that is focused around service, truly taking care of somebody, largely because you can empathize with them, right? I love the fact that you come from a photography background, that your experience in SEO is not just from working for another company, an SEO company, but also because you had to do something about your own photography website. I, I think it's great. But the focus on service is absolutely lovely. And our backgrounds are quite different because I grew up in the East End of Glasgow um, from a completely non-religious background. But the the community in that type of area everybody looked out for each other. Mm. You just would not have stood aside whilst you could have done something to help. And community was just so important. And that was, like, was at the core of everything. You know, it was a it, an area that was fairly, um, it's not the most affluent, it's the opposite end of the scale. Sure. But I guess growing up in that environment of community over competition or community, you're, there's strength in community. So it, there was just no question in my mind. I mean, on paper, it didn't make sense. I should have just got went and got a job, you know, and I, I didn't know, I suppose at that point, the exactly the, the how or the how things would, would work in practice. But I thought if I put integrity at the centre of, of what I do, 
And as I set up links to continue to answer client questions, to, to be able to help them at the same time as starting marketing. And I have so much gratitude for the new clients that have placed trust in me, that have invested in me, because I've been able to then invest that money in clients that lost out, you know. So it, it's kind of... And the thing is that I can empathize so much with their situation. I, I was so kind of devastated about what happened because when I was new in business, I lost money from a variety of different companies. And there was album companies that went bust. There was kind of marketplace directories that went bust. And when you when you lose a few hundred pounds when you're new in business, that, that really hurts, you know? It doesn't matter whether it's um, a few hundred dollars or a couple of thousand, it's, it's still painful. So I wanted to just be able to kind of do what I could to offset that as much as possible and also really give those clients the results that they were looking for. I knew I had the skills to do that. I mean, it's a fairly niche thing that I've, I've got experience in. So I th- figured, you know, we're, we're all here in this mess. Let's, let's do something about it. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm a huge fan already. And of course, we're going to link to your website, photoseolab.com in the show notes for those of you who are curious to learn more. But let's get into a, kind of our focus for the day. And, you know, I don't think I actually said uh, or spelled it out. SEO, search engine optimization is what we're talking about today. And, and if I were to sum it up from my lack of experience as an SEO specialist, I would say this is basically how to set up your website in such a way that a potential client can organically find you through a search online. Would that be a a fair summation? Absolutely. Um, And it's more powerful than it ever was. The the developments in technology are awesome, really, and really powerful. And something that gets talked a lot about within the photography community is about targeting ideal clients. Because, you know, there's such a a vast array of styles. And I I think, and this is something you will have experienced as well, Nathan, the difference in editing styles, you know, the the, um, progress in technology has enabled um, photographers to really kind of express themselves through a a kind of more nuanced editing and different different looks and to kind of create more impactful art, I think. I think you'd, you'd agree. Yeah, for sure. There's such a there is such a wide range of styles, and and of course, ultimately, the question is how how can you make the world aware of your particular style effectively and ultimately draw in the right client? And it's interesting that you talk about the the progress of technology and the ability to be able to target a particular potential client. And my mind automatically, in that case, really goes to Facebook. I mean, Facebook's developed these incredible, incredible tools for the sake of running ads in a very targeted manner. And, and on, on that note, I'm curious, and this may be a bit rhetorical, uh, but is SEO, what, what significance, I guess, does SEO still carry in a day when we do have a platform, an ad platform more specifically, like Facebook, or we have a platform like Instagram? How relevant is SEO still in 2019? Well, I think let's first look at uh, the how um, the algorithms work. One algorithm in particular, um, which is Hummingbird. So Hummingbird's a natural language processor. And what it does is crawl all the, the text content on the page. So it's looking at headings, subheadings, alt text, the natural um, body copy, which is just normal text yeah. to, to everyone. Um, and it, what it does is identify entities within that text. And it looks at the relationship between those entities to calculate the kind of um, context and intent. So it's so much further advanced than just having a list of keywords. It's more about topical relevance. So if you have a wedding that you've photographed and maybe you weren't that keen in the venue, but you 
those aspects of it that you would love to shoot more weddings that had those aspects. By focusing on those within the text, you're going to really help Hummingbird kind of play matchmaker with getting your site in front of your target client because search is personalized. So if you've been, and you'll know if you've been searching for something and then you start seeing adverts that are targeted towards you based on your previous search. If you've got um, maybe a, a potential or like a bride or a couple have been searching for wedding barns and they've been searching for rustic styling or details for, for barn weddings. or They've been searching for words in that kind of topic. And then you have a load of content on your website where you're using those similar terms. Google's going to be showing your site over a competitor because you're going to look more relevant to that client. So I, I guess very simply, and by, by the way, when you were talking about Hummingbird, is that specific to a Google search or does that... Yeah, Google's got a range of algorithms. Um, so there's there's different algorithms that have that do different things. So Hummingbird is the is the kind of language processor side of things. But that is specific to Google, not other search engines. That's right. But I mean, really, when we talk search engines, we're pretty much talking Google because it's, they've got more than ninety percent share. So it is true. And, and just to be specific, and I alluded to this earlier, but we are talking about organic search here, not Google AdWords, which is a whole. Other topic in That's and of itself. That's a whole other topic. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of organic search because essentially once you've optimized your site to be found by the people that you'd like to find it, there's no additional investment. So although there's a, a time investment to start off with, you don't have to keep throwing money at it. So if you want to continue to run Facebook ads, as much as you will, you know, no doubt see a return on that investment, you do have to keep paying. Whereas in organic search, I've, I've not invested in I think the last time I spent any money in AdWords was four years ago. Yeah, it's we've we've experimented with it as well at Photographers Edit specifically, and just that we haven't seen the results. And I, I don't know how long at this point. I mean, years really since we've seen effective ROI on AdWords, but the results that we're seeing from SEO. Uh, are quite significant. The number or the percentage of new accounts that we get at Photographer's Edit through organic Google search now, is, and particularly in 2018, if I look back at our statistics, are quite significant. So to that point, though, I, I'm, I'm curious, first of all, if you just kind of break down maybe what the big differences are in 2019 in SEO versus, say, eight to 10 years ago, because we may have some listeners that have been photographers for, for years now. I mean, I've been in the industry for close to 20 years. How have things changed um, in the last eight to 10 years? Well, I think one thing is in terms of Google's penalties, where 10 years ago, you know, if you were hit by like a, a penalty, then it would take a lot longer to recover. And you might be looking at six or 12 months. Whereas based on the sorry letters I have sent Google on behalf of clients, um, I found it's been much easier to be able to recover for from that sort of thing. So what I would say is if you have been, you're listening to this and you have perhaps engaged or maybe even hired a company that's engaged in non-ideal practices like, you know, link farms and things. You can I, I love how you say up. non-ideal. <laughs> that's such a, a wonderfully soft way to, to put that. If you've misbehaved, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's easier to recover. So if, if it's something where you feel like you've been hit by a penalty, I've, I've spoke to photographers who say, oh, there's no point trying to do anything on the site. And I'm like, you know what, you can. Google will give you another chance. Just clear things up, resubmit for fresh index, and you can, you can, you can get good at writing sorry letters. So Okay. But I, this is something I'm, I'm curious about because I'm not sure if I'm even aware of this notion of penalties from Google. I don't think it's something that I've ever run into with, with any of the companies I've been involved in. Can you explain just a little bit more? 
Yeah, well, I suppose I tend to speak to clients when they're either wondering why they don't rank anymore or they want to rank well in search, you know, in the first place. So I tend to kind of probably disproportionately speak to people that <laughs> that have more of that sort of problem. What I would, and this kind of move brings us on to um, to Google Search Console, I would highly recommend that um, photographers do monitor their, their site performance through Google Search Console. If Google does give you a penalty, depends on what type, then it would be through that that they would communicate that with you. But often I find clients don't know they've got penalties. So it's only when I start delving into things and I say, oh, I've got this message from Google. <laughs> um, or I can see the, the, the kind of the impact of a penalty. So although Google might not have necessarily sent them a, a message about it, there's kind of footprints that penalties leave that are quite distinct. And I guess being a bit of a uber geek, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with recognizing what those look like. What's an example of something that Google would give a penalty for? So for example, if you have created content that's all very similar, so you might have, and this is, there's a recent example of a client that I'm working with just now who has created blog posts all targeted towards the same kind of core keyword that she was targeting her homepage on. Now, with very little text content and lots of similarity, which kind of looks like a bit spammy, then that's the sort of thing that can pick up a panther penalty because having too many low-quality pages that aren't serving searcher intent, which is a really important thing in 2019, so we'll come on to that shortly, you know, you, you can end up with a, a penalty where you're just not going to be able to rank your pages unless you take a major kind of strategy change. Huh. Okay. This is, I mean, this is such a topic that is um, quite foreign to me, I guess, ultimately when we start talking about the technical details. So I love that I can go to you as the expert for this information, but let's, let's go ahead. And I know we're going to get into how photographers can ultimately improve what they're doing when it comes to SEO here in just a bit, but a, a couple of more differences. Initially, you mentioned the difference, one of the big differences between now SEO in 2019 and, you know, say eight to 10 years ago is the, the difference in the way that Google handles penalties. You have the ability to be able to more quickly recover. What's another big difference? Mobile first indexing. Um, such a, a kind of contrast in the experience of looking at something on a, a kind of a desktop screen or a laptop, which is still over 30% of market share, and looking at a site on a mobile. So it's a completely different user experience, really. And it means that sites need to load way faster. And kind of, you know, there's various aspects, I think, that photographers have hung on to, like slideshows, for example. You're not going to watch a, a slideshow on a website on a mobile. You're just not going to, you know, let, let's just be realistic. Well, yeah, I mean, the reality is that, that we, most of us probably have just a shorter attention span, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of factors and the, the data that I've looked at on hundreds and hundreds of websites backs that up, really. You know, you've really only got a couple of seconds of someone's attention mm. and it's about really kind of engaging that person and drawing them into your site and um, get them to engage with your content and start navigating around it. So watching a slideshow isn't necessarily what people are going to expect when they land on your site. You know, you might want to put a slideshow in your portfolio section, but not your homepage, not right at the start, because... If you've only got a couple of seconds of someone's attention and your site takes six seconds to load, you've you've lost that client. Wow. That's you know, they're 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 gone. So I see sites that take way too long to load and no one gets to see their work. It's heartbreaking. So by speeding things up and making things really efficient and then maybe creating slideshows on pages 
that might be part of the internal navigation, you've already got them there, then they're already kind of hooked. They've already seen your brand. They've already started bonding with the the message, you know, the the vibe that you have on your site. So it means that you're you're going to have a bit more patience, maybe from that potential client for something to load. So, what would you say would be a recommended load time for at least for a mobile site these days? Less than two seconds. Wow. Okay. So in, you mentioned earlier the Google Search Console. That's a great place that our listeners can go to to get an idea of how quickly their site is loading. Correct. Um, no, Google Search Console is more about the the performance of a site and what Google's actually delivering the different pages, okay. um, what queries it's delivering the pages for. A tool that I'd recommend for checking your load speed time would be GT Metrics. So no affiliation with them, by the way. I just think it's the, the best thing out there. There's, there's some features on that tool that um, show you the load time of different elements. So if you want to be able to really kind of target um, elements of your site that are slowing things down, that tool makes it really clear. And I'm all for clarity and transparency. So um, it's just gtmetrics.com. Now, the default server is in Vancouver. So that's only going to work if you're based in, over in the US. So what I would say is you can register for a free account and change the location to London or Dallas, you know, and it will give you a more realistic result. So I, I tend to, my recommendation is if you can get your site to load under two seconds, ideally that's what Google's going to be kind of happy with um but less than three for a photographer is acceptable any more than three and you've got work to do wow and would you say that that's the case still for a, a desktop website because one of the interesting statistics that i just recently saw uh, on our site I, I looked at i guess fresh numbers uh, was the large disparity really between those who are i mean i would assume that more photographers were looking at photographers edits website on the mobile platform. And the reality was it was quite the opposite. Most people that come to our site are doing so on their desktop. Do we still need a two to three second load time? Absolutely. I think people's expectation and patience has changed and we, we just expect things faster. Mm. So I think with photographers, there's a little bit more leeway there because you know, you, you know, a site's going to have photos on it, but if you keep someone loading, if you think the last time you waited for six or seven seconds for a website to load. <laughs> it feels think, like forever. <laughs> you know, and the thing is as well with the whole, you know, there's things in the news about security and hacking. You, you know, a potential client might think that your site's been hacked or might think that there's some sort of underlying problem or maybe they've clicked on something they shouldn't, you know. So th- there's a kind of different environment now than there was 10 years ago. People are more savvy to things like risk and security Um and trust signals are, are really so important. So I think that aiming for less than three seconds across the board is what everybody should be be kind of aiming for. Wow. Okay. We've I know that we've got a lot of work to do in that realm. That's that's good to know. Let me let's get to are there any other significant differences? We talked about the difference in penalties and, and the ability to be able to more quickly recover mobile first indexing, the significance of quick load times. Anything else that, that you see as a significant difference between now and say eight to ten years ago? Um, and I think it's kind of what we touched on a little previously with algorithms. You know, they're so much more advanced now than they used to be. And I see photographers not using that technology. So I think technology is there. Talk about the types of weddings that you would love to shoot. Um, t- talk talk details. You know, I think when you make things kind of more from the perspective of a photographer, then that's great if you're delivering content to photographers. But if you're aiming to deliver content to potential couples that are planning a wedding, then what you're creating needs to match the searcher intent. 
um, which is going to kind of bring us on to to some next points in terms of recommendations I have. But it's it's so important more than ever for content to be really great, great quality. You know, writing short two or three hundred word articles anymore doesn't really cut it. The, the the web's flooded with that type of thing. So it's more, um, I think, compared to ten years ago, that the emphasis is more on quality over quantity. I don't recommend that my clients blog twice a week, which was a common common thing, um, being recommended by agencies like ten years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, no, definitely, it's more about kind of thorough, in depth articles that match search intent that are kind of researched um, and relevant and that are great quality. Wow. Okay. All right. This is good stuff already. And, and a bit of a, bit of a shift change. <laughs> well, and, and you already alluded to, to some information that you're going to share with us. Cause, cause my next question has kind of a, it's a two-part question, really. I'm curious from your perspective, what you would say are some of the most significant mistakes that photographers are making right now when it comes to SEO and then maybe you could just briefly share some potential solutions there. Because ultimately, what, what I'd really like is for those listening in, if they need help with SEO, search engine optimization, to, to be able to come to you as the expert. But let's at least delve into these a little bit. What are some of the most significant mis- mistakes and, and the solutions therein? Well, I think one of the main things is putting too much of a kind of high priority in the homepage. And I know I've just said there about load times, and load times are really important, but really 75% of traffic should be arriving through blog posts because if you are targeting something with your homepage, you can't target everything with it. And the blog posts and the mix of blog posts on your sh- on your site should um, reflect a balanced strategy that is targeting your potential clients at different points in the buying cycle. So what that means is there needs to be a variety that respond to search intent at different points on that potential client's journey. So by optimizing posts for different things you're going to be able to rank for a much much wider range of different subjects that's going to attract more traffic to your site but it also means that you need to be thinking about blog posts as that might be the first kind of interaction with your brand so if someone's just opening a blog post for the first time are they clear about the service that the you know the photographer provides Mm. um is there a call to action on that page are there internal links to other areas that a potential client may want to go check out. You know, so it's really kind of thinking about a blog post as alternative homepages, sort of, you know, where there's those key kind of call to actions, internal links, and also clarity about what the photographer offers. You know, using some of the tools online to look at blog post content, photographers can end up looking like hobbyists, you know, because there's nothing there about them offering a professional service. Wow. It's more about a, a wedding day story. That's interesting. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made that connection, I guess. I mean, that the focus is on, on story and I'm still amazed at the number of pictures that some photographers will share too. But it, I think in many cases, the, the copy is probably lacking, right? And, and you mentioned repetitive content earlier. There is a tendency that photographers have to, to kind of use the same uh, text, the same phrases over and over and over and over again. But the reality is that there needs to be, I guess, more specific allusion to or reference to the professional photography service. And, and I like the way that you summed it up, saying that, hey, this, this blog may actually be their first point of connection with you. So while the content there is significant, we need to make sure that it is very clear the service that's being offered with it. Absolutely. And I think really kind of almost a bit of a shift change in what the purpose of the blog is and maybe a a little bit of a step away from um, 
yeah, it's to share the story of the day, but also what is that potential client looking for? And what can you share um, with your experience as a photographer that would answer questions that they're already asking Google? Because the client just doesn't need to be, sorry, a blog post doesn't need to just be about one thing. It can be multifaceted, you know, there can be a, a topic rather than one one little small subject. So if you're um, creating a, a post about a venue, there's different aspects of that venue that you, where you can share your expertise and sharing expertise kind of builds trust, um, builds, builds authority, reassures potential couples, which is what they want. You know, if they're, they're looking for a photographer to book, they, they want to be working with someone who's not only passionate about what they do, but also experienced and able to offer maybe some advice and suggestions. So using that space to do that is ideal. Whereas what I see a lot of is, I rocked up at the wedding in the morning and then we had the ceremony. You know, there's no there's no depth. There's no offering kind of advice or answering questions. And I think really putting the users at the centre of what you do will help guide you um, if you're a photographer listening to this and you're thinking, what on earth to create content on? Well, there's keyword research tools. I've got a couple of tutorials on the website that um, show you how to kind of install some tools that will help empower you to kind of have that that information to find out what users are actually searching for. And when I, in, in the live kind of one-to-one cons- consultations that I do, I walk through installing these with clients and right away they're always like, well, I wouldn't have thought that they wouldn't been searching for that type of thing, but that makes sense now. And it's not anything that's kind of revelationary or that, that photographers won't be able to share but it's just having that information and knowing what it is so that they can then answer those questions that are already being asked oh this is gonna i, I know that this is gonna end up being one of the most practical episodes that we've here had here on boca um and and uh, those listening in i'm gonna be promoting this like crazy so uh, i hope that you're you're taking notes there's a lot of information i know that that karen is sharing right now that is going to be quite applicable and you're probably going to have a lot of homework to, to get started with right away. So thank you. I'm, I'm already excited, Karen, and we're only just one point into these, uh, these mistakes and solutions. But let's go ahead and move on to the next one. You said the first one is too much priority on the homepage, the significance of the blog as an entry point, uh, realizing that we also need to have clear reference to the service being offered, uh, an establishment of expertise in conjunction with the stories that we're sharing What's another potential mistake that photographers are making when it comes to SEO? Well, I did kind of naturally flowed into point two, sort of in that, that explanation there, which kind of the, the second point I wanted to, to share was around search intent, because creating content that doesn't match the search intent online means that not only do brides and grooms not get the information they're looking for, but photographers don't get the traffic. So you can talk about something that interests you all you like, but if there's no audience you're standing alone in an empty room. And what I see from photographers is maybe I get to speak to people when they've, they're at a point in their business where they don't know whether to keep going. You know, they don't know whether to, they think, is it their work? Is it them? But actually, it's just that they're, they're talking to themselves. You know, people aren't searching for what they're, they're actually writing about. And what I've, I've kind of um, been able to do with my clients is by creating that shift change and matching what they do to what people are searching for means that they can get a ton of traffic on their site. And that leads to conversions and, you know, booked jobs of, of kind of, whether it's, it's weddings or kind of other types of photography. So really kind of aligning the content with users is just so, so important. 
and that's that kind of um, have a keyword research tutorial on that but I'd also encourage photographers to use other free tools like Google Trends if you want to know what people are talking about you can go to Google Trends and find out and also just using um, search when you start typing anything in Google comes up with a, a load of suggested um, phrases so by using that you can see what people are are asking um, and that will help you align your content to kind of be responding to that need really yeah because it is easy to to write content that we are interested in I, I like that you make that point um, that that we write content that we're interested in but isn't necessarily uh, relevant to our target client. Um, and, and there are tools that we can actually take advantage of as you're suggesting. So, uh, we'll make sure to link to these tools that you're referencing in the show notes as well. But when you say search intent, basically we need to do a better job of matching content to the interests of our target client. Is that correct? Absolutely. And the thing is, as photographers, we are experts in the, the different aspects of photography that a client might not even know that they don't know because they've not planned a wedding before. Mm. Um, maybe not had a newborn shoot before so they don't know what to ask so what what I I do myself on my wedding website which um, is out there for anyone to see and what I recommend to my clients is that we mix in what we want to talk about with what the user wants to know so you might answer a user question first and then you add in something that you know is important that they might not have even thought about yet Um, and then you add in some more details that you know that that users are searching for so you kind of pepper in this sharing of expertise at the same time as responding to yeah, kind of that user intent really you know the, the what people are asking google i love that it doesn't it's not an either or situation we can have best of oh, both absolutely worlds. both absolutely both there's no, no compromising that's great okay all right so take us to another mistake uh, that photographers are making with SEO. so this is something that's more pertinent to wedding photographers and it's the, the whole concept that you need photos to blog or waiting to blog. So let's just take a step back from this for a moment. Google has come out and said that it takes between four and 12 months for SEO work to kind of bear fruition. Wow. And um, Yeah. And because the, the web has been flooded with lots of kind of fairly low quality short um, blog articles, it takes longer um, now for posts to gain traction than it did maybe 10 years ago. So... With wedding photography, clients book so far in advance. My recommendation is, and this is something I I see that's not happening that I recommend um, that clients do, and any photographer listening to this actually, blog in advance. So you could quite easily write a blog post um, about the venue a year before the wedding, and you could create content about the venue, about your intention of shooting the wedding, how you plan to approach the day, um, the different aspects that you might plan for, for you know um, weather contingency plans you might even video yourself at the venue saying you know I've come to check out the venue and have a good look around we're looking for some inspiration um, of how we're going to use the space um, at, at the same time of year and by doing that not only do you share your passion for creating art but you also share your personality and people people book people you know, we, we don't, we don't kind of buy products. We, we, book, we buy people. Um, so really kind of by putting that out there already, not only will it help you book future weddings, but it also means that it's reassuring for current clients and also gives a chance for your work to really start gaining traction. So the time you shot the wedding and you can then drop the photos into the blog post, you're in a much better position to then be able to gain more bookings. 
Interesting. Okay, so I would never have thought about this idea before, but you're you're actually talking about retroactively putting photos in after you shoot that particular event. And then, I mean, I guess using WordPress, if we've updated the post, then you can republish it and then it comes to the top? Yeah, I mean, you could change, you can change the date. So it's really important within your permalink structure, getting a bit geeky now, that you don't have the dates in there. It's also really important that you do not use names, which we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. You, so you want the URL... Um, to be neutral enough that you can do that with with it. You know, you don't want to be um, creating a URL that then wouldn't make sense after you've shot a wedding. Wow. Mm. Okay. Okay. That's, this is good. I mean, I've, I've got bit, bit so, strategy. Yeah. Strategy. But I'm just thinking like, there's, there's so much work that we need to, to go do to refine. This is, this is good. good really wonderful. See, this advice. is what my clients say. They kind of think we've, we've achieved lots, but I appear to have a homework list. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, we, I have a significant homework list here already. Okay. So we, we, we started with too much priority on the homepage. Um, and of course, ultimately the significance of creating a, a blogging, uh, home, if you will, that isn't just wedding story centric or portrait story centric, but ultimately a place where potential clients can find value and ultimately yep, link, absolutely. link to the services that you're offering. And then making sure that the content that we are producing for the website and more specifically the blog is relevant to those, well, the type of content that's being searched by our, our target clients. And so that was number two. And then three, the significance of, uh, or I guess the lack of significance really of photos from that particular event in order for us to blog. I mean, if we're, if, if this is true, if we're talking about, you know, 10 to 12 months, let's say before the work that we've done, the SEO work that we've done, the, the blog content that we have produced is going to have an impact on our searchability than going ahead and creating a blog post ahead of time and then dropping in the photo and stories after the fact. This is, I mean, again, this is not a strategy I've heard of it before, but that would, that would make a lot more sense in that context. And it's something, Nathan, I've been doing this since 2007. When I arrived in Manchester in, in the situation that I did, and I hadn't, didn't have any weddings locally. So I, I had to think about that, the kind of order of um, who gets booked first and clients have to book venues before they can book a photographer. So I created content for um, around different venues and um, in, because I didn't have any photos to share, I, I drove around to some of the venues and shot kind of just exterior photos of, of them. But then I illustrated the article with other wedding photos that I had and I used some interior photos from venues that were maybe similar so I might say well this um, venue in Glasgow has a kind of similar interior to whatever hall it was and I, I get quite a lot of pushback when I tell clients this but it, that, that's how I got booked up because when you um, create content and it's the thing is it's not about being misleading to people because if you sit you're just kind of authentic and say I'd love to shoot at this venue um, I've not shot a wedding there yet um, here's how I would like to use the space. Here's my vision of what I'd like to 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 do there, and here's some other photos that are kind of similar. Then that builds kind of there's an authenticity and trust in that, um, and there's also enthusiastic kind of passion for your job. And really, that's something that a, you know a potential couple that's excited about their wedding that sees someone who really wants to shoot at a venue that you know they're going to love that. Um, that's worked for me as recently as last year when there was an abbey in um, it's a valley about an hour north of the city where I live and I hadn't shot there before and it's really it's like a, a few hundred year old kind of ruined um abbey type wow. thing uh, and it's, it's beautiful but it was it's been on my kind of list of places I'd like to shoot in a while and I literally just put on my Ribble Valley page on my website that 
um, I really wanted to shoot there and um, it, you know it was somewhere that hadn't been previously and only wrote a few lines but that was enough for the venue to find me in search results read that they called me and they said we're having a wedding fair here do you want to come along so I went to the wedding fair and a couple booked me that weren't able to attend the wedding fair because they lived in London but they'd seen that I was there and seen on my website that I really wanted to shoot there you know and I've been able to um, shoot at other venues without having any wedding work I've been able to get on page one for weddings for venues even though I've not shot a wedding there wow so yeah which goes down well with the locals as you can imagine <laughs> um so really just I think as photographers we can kind of get almost get in the way of ourselves and make up these rules of I need to do this before I do this or I need to do a b and c you know I need to no, you don't you really don't it's not true you're wrong <laughs> well, we appreciate the fact that you're here to to share those mistakes with us. And speaking of, I know that you've got a couple more. Um, so do list those I for do, us. I do. Yeah. Okay. So another thing is taking the names out of titles. Oh my goodness. I see this in so many blog posts. So when you create a title and you create um, content, you're not, you may well be creating that for it so that the couple that you've worked with, um, you know, can see their photos online and they're like, they're famous, they're on your blog. But the problem is you don't want to rank for those names, you know, and Rachel and Andy or whoever, whatever their names are, that doesn't mean anything to Google. There's no context there. So there shouldn't be any names in URLs, any names in titles either. So the title should be more about descriptions um, of styling, the details of the day. And I encourage um, photographers to go and, go and look at some of the, the international blogs out there. Um, things like Style Me Pretty, Rock and Roll Bride, and look at the titles and they're all descriptive details and that is what's going to help you get your ideal client. You know, I mean, I, I remember having lots of brides for a similar name and at one point in 2008, I was on page one for the name Rachel. <laughs> and it, it, <laughs> what are the chances? <laughs> no, it was ridiculous and it didn't help me get any wedding bookings, Nathan. Right. I know that might surprise you. But, you know, <laughs> You know, so it's it's really thinking about, again, it comes back to search intent. You need to be creating content for your future couples that you've not met yet. Wow. Okay. So this is, now, is Google going to be looking at not just the text content in that blog post that the, the I think you said earlier that the body text or the body content, uh, but it's also looking at the associated URL and the, the words in that URL? Yeah, it's looking at the relationship of everything. Wow. Um, so in kind of analyzing the context and intent, everything's kind of analyzed really. So it's fine to use a couple of names in the post, but really the the kind of your headings and subheadings within the the kind of the article that you create or the blog that you create, they should be based around answering questions that people are answering search. So it's more maybe using you want you do want to be using words like um bride and groom or bride and bride, groom and groom, or, or kind of couple and ceremony. You want to make sure that you're, you're um, using words that make it clear to Google. Um, so, because I see some posts that where the names are used a lot and the, the kind of, the way that that post is interpreted, it can look as if it's just about a person. So you end up seeing posts ranking for famous people that are nothing to do with anything. <laughs> huh. You know, and, and you can find that out in, and this is the benefit of monitoring things in Search Console because you can see how Google's understanding a post. And as much as the technology is just so advanced, um, it can get things wrong. And as much as photographers don't want to be keyword spamming, sometimes they can end up being like that with names without realizing it. 
Who knew? Wow. That's really yeah. interesting. And I know that, wow, this is, again, something that I, we need to add to our homework list <laughs> for the content of Photographer's Edit because um, I, I would not have thought that that was an issue. That's really interesting. Okay. I, I want to respect your time and everyone else's time, too. I know that we've gone just a little bit over an hour already. Take us to the last mistake and the potential solution here before we finish up. Okay, so this would be around, um, I don't know if it's a term that you use in the US as much, um, around hoarding. So I see established photographers that have maybe been going for, you know, five years or more, um, sometimes, you know, 10 years. And what they do is just hang on to every single blog post. And they end up creating a bit of a monster. So they'll, they'll come to me and say, my, my, my site's not performing anymore and I don't know why. And I'll find 400 blog posts and 1500 tag pages and you know a whole hot mess that Google can't even crawl so I would say periodically you know you need to have a bit of a, a brutal cull so it, blog web kind of websites as a whole should be pruned everything every single thing on your website needs to be within three clicks of the home page I'll let that sink in and, and I, I was going to say I like that pause there because that, that that's a major statement three clicks of the homepage. And, and I mean, can you be more specific in what context? What does that actually look like in a very practical level? So when you um, start from the, the homepage, which is kind of zero, level zero, yeah. um, you should be able to access or navigate to every single blog on, on, the, on a website within three clicks. So what that means is you need a really kind of clear architecture and kind of structure of your website. So often the work that I'm doing is increasing the actual ability for a website to be crawled. So it's almost like if you imagine a, um, a kind of um, farmhouse that's had various extensions added over the years um, and comparing that to a planned kind of house with a clear navigation, <laughs> you know, I like using analogies in my coaching. Um, but often sites are underperforming because they just, Google can't crawl them. You know, they're just impossible to crawl. Everybody's got a certain amount of crawl budget. And it might take months to for a, for a bot to work its way through a site. Wow. Okay. So, but I wouldn't have thought that we needed to actually go back and call, you know, for example, uh, and I'm just continuing to use uh, my company and, and Boca as an example here, but I can think about the, the 200 plus posts associated with the Boca podcast, which is the, the primary content or the content that, that we post to our so-called blog um, it is the podcast and the show notes and so forth, but we've got over 200 episodes. So the idea of clicking, you know, landing on the homepage of the photographers at a website, clicking on podcast, uh, I mean, in order to get to these other posts, it would take so many clicks. You're suggesting that those be culled down to, I mean, is there, are there a certain number of pages um, that photographers Ooh. should keep in mind? They should be limiting their their blogs to? Well, I think because it, it depends on the, the business and the scale of the business. And sometimes it's more about restructuring than culling. You know, if you've got a load of um, valuable content on there, as your website does, it's amazing. Um, you would, I think it would be more of a, an approach of a restructuring or reorganizing of content to make it kind of easy to get to rather than cull. I think with photography, because things do change over the years, I, I tend to keep my, my website between 100 and 120 posts. And I'm in year 13, actually year 14. So, you know, I've got I've shot 407 weddings so far. But really from kind of what I'm wanting to aim for, um, I've found that that amount of content means my site's easy to, to crawl and it keeps it nimble. You know, it keeps it kind of accessible and performing well. Um, which is just it's such a kind of under understood thing. Um, it's, it's so, so important. So really that kind of crawlability and indexability um, and just accessibility for our user as well. 
Okay. So we need to avoid hoarding. That, that's a good thing. I mean, I, I like that as a principle in life anyway, but <laughs> we can even be minimal or should be minimalist when it comes to the, the content. So in our it's blog. a transferable habit. Yeah, that's, that's really, really good. Okay. Wow. There's so much information here. And I know again, that we've just barely scratched the surface because probably each of these points we could have spent an hour on or more. Uh, but this is, I love the practicality of this conversation, Karen. And, um, and I'm just a big fan of you and what you're doing anyway. I really appreciate you making time to, to send this knowledge our way. And to, to of course, to our listeners, I, I'm well, thank wondering you so much for having me. It's oh, no, it, it's truly been a privilege. And I'd love for you just one more time to reiterate where our listeners can find you online, your website, social media, ideally how they can maybe get started using your services as well. So the kind of main hub is the the website, which is photoseolab.com, as you've, as you've said. Um, I also have a YouTube channel with, there's a, a ton of um, free tutorials that are going to be uh, getting released on there over the coming weeks, which I'm really excited about. Kind of core things around link building and, you know, how to set up Search Console and analytics and just kind of geeky stuff that I love talking about, but I know <laughs> that will really make a, will really make a difference. Um, I've also got a, a Facebook page, which again, just photo SEO lab. And I do live kind of tutorials and Q&A and just sharing SEO news, nuggets, and things, things that are going to benefit the community. And then the, there's the services as well. So the, the training course that I do um, is based around kind of audits. So that's something that if, if people wanted to find out more about, there'll be more information on my site in the next week or so. And yeah, I have a, a free demo button through the site. So if anybody wants to chat with me about how we could work together, you can just book a demo call. We can have a chat. We'll try and keep it not too geeky. <laughs> well, and, and you know, you alluded to this, I think maybe at the beginning of our conversation, but you actually keep hours that, that make working with US-based clients relatively easy. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I'm kind of on a CST time zone anyway, Nathan. Um, I, I don't really, I'm, not, I'm more of a night owl than mornings. So I've got clients in um, Australia that I tend to have my coaching calls with them at midnight, my time, wow. 11 p.m. my time. Yeah, so it, but it's something that within, with working with the U.S. agency for the last couple of years, it's really kind of felt like it's really just fitted how I work anyway. You know, when I edit, I tend to edit till about one or two in the morning. Um and I'm not a fan of mornings, so it, it kind of just works. And I've got clients on in the Pacific time zone at the moment um, and throughout the US already. So the the kind of scheduler is actually set to CST time zone, but you can adjust it for your own time zone when you book in with me. Well, and and for those of you listening in who are curious too, one of the things that, that Karen puts priority on is, is actually having conversation uh, I'm putting face-to-face in air quotes here, but face-to-face Zoom video call. So you actually get a chance to see the person and have a conversation with them. Uh, and I, I think that's really, really great too. But we'll make sure to link to your website and Facebook in the show notes. For those of you listening in, go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. Um, speaking of the content that we produce for our blog, that's where you're going to find it. And of course, the, the other shows and their show notes as well. Um, you can find there at bocapodcast.com. Thank you again, Karen, so much for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners today. Thanks so much. It's been, it's been great chatting with you. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.